0: Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, July 11th, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music and I share with you what has currently caught my interest – old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist or the estate of any performer or composer, dead and gone, to discuss their music and or recordings now with that out of the way welcome to my musical universe my guest today is bassist julia adami julia currently lives in brooklyn new york and has been playing and singing globally and around the city at venues like radio city music hall carnegie hall lincoln center birdland iridium rockwood music hall joe's pub bowery ballroom the carlisle and highline ballrooms she is honored to have shared the stage and or recorded with artists such as ben platt sarah barellis colby Khaled, india re bocante with members of snarky puppy grace kelly antonio sanchez jane monheit titus burgess venice thomas lou soloff peter eldridge Felder, michelle williams of destiny's child melissa mcmillan and the doo-wop project she has done television work with nbc's smash the late show with stephen colbert jimmy kimmel live the today show abc's the katie show live with kelly and good morning america she has also played on broadway shows hamilton the share show mama mia jesus christ superstar ghost and matilda raised in nyack new york Julia was inspired to play bass through her talented and supportive father, Paul Adamy, with whom she studied in high school. She then went on to get a Bachelor of Music in Jazz Studies from the University of North Texas, where she took lessons with Lynn Seaton and Jeff Bredetick. It is my pleasure. To welcome to my musical universe, Julia Adamy. Hello, Julia. Hi. It's uh, really great to talk with you and to have you as a guest uh, on my show today. Lovely uh, to be here. <laughs> well, I'm. I'm. It's. I'm just ecstatic that we we were able to finally connect uh, across the ocean and and uh, find a time that we could talk. Yeah. You know, in reading your your bio, uh, it it seems to me that uh, you were destined uh, from childhood to be a bassist. And uh, I'd like you to start by talking about your father, Paul, and then how and when you got turned on to music.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I started playing violin in second grade because, or no, I'm sorry, it was fourth grade. You know at the time basically it was like band or orchestra were the options Mm -hmm. and bass wasn't part of that (laughs) um you know now they make smaller uprights that kids can play but i don't know if they did at the time but it just wasn't available um so i chose violin and it was always my favorite subject my favorite thing to do in school um Mm -hmm. but i just wasn't connecting to that instrument and you know my dad is a professional bass player in New York City, was a highly in-demand session player, um, had his own group, toured, and then, um, yeah, did ended up doing a lot of Broadway. So he was fully in the New York music scene, as still is. Um, and I'd always go to his gigs growing up, um, you know, and usually sit in the audience and admire him from the audience perspective and then one day in middle school it was take your daughter to work day (laughs) and (laughs) my mother's a psychotherapist so that wouldn't have been appropriate Mm -hmm. um and and my dad at the time was playing the Broadway show Mama Mia Mm -hmm. and um and so I asked him I was like hey dad can I come sit in the pit with you like would that be okay I think it would be cool to like sit next to you and see what you're doing and um you know I knew how to read treble clef at that point but not bass clef but I was like oh I'll follow along on the book and and he said sure and the conductor allowed it it was amazing and so I got to sit right next to him um and watch him play the whole show and I was just blown away um at the role of the bass who he is as a musician um and just completely it was it was a shift from being an audience member to being solely focused on what he was doing and I was like that's what I want to do um Mm -hmm. so literally that night I had him teach me (laughs) a little something on bass and I was hooked so um and he never pushed me he was until he knew that I was serious right so Mm so you know from then on I was like I want to play bass and he'd teach me little things and I'd watch, you know, like Victor Wooten videos and Jocko videos and, um, and get all excited and try and learn different things. And eventually, you know, um, learned how to read bass clef and was, became pretty serious about it. And then in high school, um, once he knew that that was something that I wanted to do as a career, that's when he was like, all right, well, you got to do this, 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 and this, you should need to be practicing this amount of time, this, these specific things. And he really guided me um, Mm -hmm. up until I went to college. Um, And yeah, I felt, I don't think I fully appreciated how amazing it was to have an (laughs) in-house base teacher, but it was, it was pretty incredible. So.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is, it's really wonderful to have that, that that kind of experience and uh, be able to, you know, uh, for you as a young, young person to experience, uh, you know, the level of playing, which, you know, playing in Broadway pits is, is certainly a, a very high rung. I mean, that's, you know, very high professional level. I, I know I interviewed, uh, brian pareski a few weeks ago and and i asked yeah. him i said what's the most challenging playing that you do and he's uh he says when you play in the pit on broadway so because it has to be studio quality and it mm-hmm. has to be perfect every night yep. you know and you can't uh you know that's the highest pressure you know that absolutely. he said, you know he says but that's also the kind of challenge that he enjoys and that there's there's something to that so absolutely so it's the microscope
1: so fully on you
0: (laughs) exactly exactly yeah Yeah. and you're live and there's no over there's no do-overs there's i mean it's 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 there and uh so yeah that's wonderful that you had that kind of experience um well you mentioned about going on to college and i also read that you and i have something in common and that we uh both went to university of north texas
1: Yes. Yeah, now when sense.
0: I went, now when I went there, it was still called North Texas State University.
1: Right. Because okay. I went
0: there, and I went there in uh, the fall of '79. But you went to the okay. University of North Texas. Would you talk uh, about it, your experiences while studying there, and maybe we can compare notes? There might have been yeah. some people we might have in common, although it.
1: I know. I'm curious because uh, Neil Slater wouldn't have been there yet, right? When you were there. No,
0: he was there when I was there.
1: Oh, so Neil is part of the reason that I went there. So my Ah. dad, my dad went to University of Bridgeport in Connecticut. Okay. Neil Slater was and Ed Sof. Okay. uh, Teaching there. And my dad and Neil ended up playing in a big band together, um, the Lou Anderson big band for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, basically he became like a second father for my dad. So that was kind of the connection. North Texas. And, you know, I was a little hesitant because I grew up in New York Mm -hmm. to go to Texas, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, but my dad's like, you should just, just give it a try. I did one of those summer camps um, while it was, I think right before my senior year of high school, just to Mm -hmm. kind of check it out. And I got to meet Lynn Seaton, who's the base professor when I was there. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I really loved it. And, and, you know, it's also, it was affordable, you know, as a state Mm -hmm. tuition and a high quality jazz program. And, you know, not many other places have those two things. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. I actually, I really did love my time there. Um, Mm -hmm. it was, it was challenging. It definitely within, you know, the first couple weeks, I just remember my butt getting kicked and I was like, Oh wow, I really need to get my shit together. (laughs) Um, And which was just what I needed, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that the student population is just as much a part of the experience as the teachers, you know, being able Mm -hmm. to like everyone there is very high quality and very serious. And we all kind of counted on each other to have sessions and get better and, um, and form groups and, you know, do things outside of school. And it was just, you know, constant playing, which was amazing.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. That sounds very similar to my experience. I know I would, I I went there for graduate school and I remember when I was looking at different uh, universities and I I, uh, I chose North Texas uh, because one of my undergrad professors had, had done his graduate work there, oh, and okay. he inter- and he introduced me to the one o'clock lab band through the mm-hmm. recordings, uh, Lab seventy five and Lab seventy six, which had all kinds uh-huh. of Lyle Mays tunes on them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And of course,
0: Lyle was you know an amazing amazing person and composer and wrote some really great stuff and uh and then uh, but yet it was far less expensive than yeah. university of southern california yeah. and i forget university where else of now,
1: miami
0: I, miami yeah. exactly because miami's berkeley, a private school yeah. usc's mm-hmm. private berkeley all of yeah. those and yeah. so i thought well what the heck i'll go and then when i got there i was from actually i'm from idaho And when I got there, I had the same experience you had, because I came from a music department with 140 music majors into a music department that had 1400 music majors, and 110 of them were trumpet players. And, uh, and yeah, you get your butt seriously kicked. (laughs) And, you know, that, uh, that first semester, I was there and you know, you just, uh, you get to work. And I've I've often talked about this, that, you know, your biggest motivation was if you got out of bed in the morning, and you didn't feel like going to the practice room, you'd have that still small voice in the back of your head said, yeah, but you know, so and so's practicing.
1: Right, exactly. There's always someone. Yeah, yep,
0: yep. yep. And you, and I think you really hit the nail on the head, I would agree 100% that, it was the other students that were just as much a resource and Mm -hmm. motivation and all that. Although I, you know, my, the faculty, the professors I had were just awesome people in, uh, in all areas that I had. And, um, but yes, I remember when, when Neil came to the campus, because I was, when I first started there, Leon Breeden was still the director of the jazz studies program. And I remember Mm -hmm. when he retired and then Neil came in, and, uh, I, uh, uh, I, you know, I knew who Neil was and I had conversed with him a couple of times. I never had any courses with him, but, yeah. uh, I remember he was also a really great arranger and and writer yep. and, uh, did some, did some wonderful work. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, well, I thought that was pretty cool when I read about that, uh, you know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The North Texas community is is all over the world. I feel like I'm always, I mean, some of yeah. my closest friends still in New York, and my husband, mm-hmm. actually, we met in at North Texas. Okay. Uh, yeah, my husband's an amazing drummer, Ross Peterson. Okay. Um, and we didn't date in college, you know, we reconnected in New York, but he, yeah, we, and my, some of my closest friends, all North Texas, mm-hmm. it's just a community that kind of lasts forever and i know people yeah all over the world so well you
0: know great. i have to I have to <laughs> confess you know i drew upon that community when i first started seeking guests for my podcast
1: yeah so yeah. so
0: or, you know i've had uh early on i had frank green who's oh, a nice. wonder, wonderful you know trumpet player he does some broadway work and he plays yeah. lead with uh count basie and Amazing. and uh oh my gosh he's Playing with a number of different big bands in New York. And mm. I've had him on the show and Ben Kono, who is a yep. wonderful, you know, Ben, wonderful multiple yeah, woodwind player. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's amazing. He and my dad play in um, a big band together, the Ed Palermo Big Band. It's oh. all the music of Frank Zappa.
0: Um, oh, how cool. And
1: yeah, and Ben actually lives in Nyack, which is where I grew up. It's um, where my parents live mm-hmm, still. So mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've played in Ben's group. A couple times we did a, a couple gigs, gigs together oh. but he's a player yeah oh
0: yeah i love i love what he's doing with uh his work with strings he's doing yeah. some doing some cool stuff so yeah, yeah i drew upon that because i would say mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know one of your old north texas buddies you know we were there yeah. together and so forth and frank frank and i were we're we're pretty good friends. He was an undergraduate when I was a graduate okay. student, but uh yeah, I started with that. So yeah, it is an interesting community and it's out there mm-hmm. and there's people uh uh all over the all over the well, all over the world that mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can connect with that uh, that went there. So yeah. Well yeah. it's great to hear you had as good an experience as I did, because uh, it yeah. certainly, certainly was for me. Well, I mean, let's switch yeah. gears. I want to I wanna talk more contemporary here in that, you know, one of your more recent uh, projects is with, has been with Tana, Alexa, and Nicole Zaratas, who have both been uh, guests on my show. And I would like to hear your perspective, because uh, I've talked to them about it, about mm-hmm. Sonica and this collaboration that you had with Tana and Nicole in the creation of what I think is a wonderful album.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, we had a lovely time making it. Um, I mean, the whole group started um, kind of as a throw together gig, like I'm sure Tana mentioned this, but it was um, she had a family friend who was, had an art gallery and was doing an opening and wanted an all female group. And we didn't really exist at the time, but we were all friends and mm-hmm. had I had worked with Nicole quite a bit before. I didn't know Tana as well, but through Nicole, we kind of connected. And then she asked if we wanted to put something together and we kind of just did quick arrangements of things and played individual tunes of ours. And, um, it just was a great energy. (laughs) And we were Mm -hmm. like, we should do this again. Um, so it kind of grew out of that. And then we're, you know, we're all so busy with other projects and, um, things that it was a very slow build to actually get this record happening. And the pandemic really helped push that because we finally had the time to, um, yeah, to sit down and do it. And Tana produced and recorded almost all of it at her home studio where there was a couple of little remote things that we did um, at our studio. And then I think Nicole too, but it was, the majority was all at Tana and Antonio's studio um, in Queens. And we'd, yeah, it was a labor of love. You know, we put in, especially Tana put in a lot of time and Mm -hmm. energy to making it sound the way it is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're Mm -hmm. very appreciative Mm -hmm. of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was, it was great to be able to um, kind of take some of Tana's tunes, some of Nicole's tunes, and then write some things together. And, and then I added a couple arrangements of my own. Um, I'm not as much of a, I don't write as much as they do. And I don't have my own personal project. So I didn't have like a bedrock of tunes to come from, Mm -hmm. but I definitely Mm -hmm. brought some new things, did some new arrangements for the group. And then, um, yeah, for me also, I'm, you know, I sing, but I'm not a singer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was, I think for all of us, actually, it was an opportunity for us to work on, things that we felt uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Tana really got um, put in a lot of work and is amazing with her loop pedal. But that at the time was kind of a new thing. And Nicole, you know, is an amazing keys player, but just wanted to do more of that. And um, I wanted to sing more. So we Mm -hmm. kind of just brought our our little side projects into the spotlight with this group and yeah it was a great opportunity for that
0: yeah well i think it turned out really well i i oh, mean I, I i really love the music uh i especially love the song doyan
1: oh uh, thank that,
0: that's yeah. got to be my favorite on the on the album although i like oh, i like them all you know i mean yeah. they're just yeah <laughs> and i i really like too you know in talking to tana about kind of the some of the thematic uh, background uh, for some mm. of the songs and so forth. And I, I love the idea of uh, empower, empowerment, empowerment uh, of yes. women. I think that's uh, something I fully support. And I'm very, very uh, uh, happy to see that kind of uh, uh, art uh, expressing those, those uh, kinds of sentiments. I think that's yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I think uh, it was really important for us to, express that be, you know we've all experienced so many things mm-hmm. in this business as women good and bad and so it was really nice to just have a group with just three women to kind of mm-hmm. bring those stories to the table and right. and and feel empowered by the you know the other two members of the group it's like it's they're they've you know we're all good friends now and it's yeah, um, yeah it's just a lovely Lovely thing.
0: <laughs> well, I, I have to imagine, and certainly correct. I, I mean, that you've really fed off of each other's energy.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. I mean,
0: what you were just saying earlier about each of you making different contributions. I, 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 I can only envision, of course, because I wasn't there in the room with you when you were recording. But I just have to imagine the creative juices that got flowing because you would hear hear an idea and contribute another idea and somebody would bounce off of that and it would just you know kind of yeah. snowball and and yeah, and come to the the end so i i think that's really kind of a cool uh cool way to approach things but uh yeah yeah i i listen i listen uh uh i won't say i listen to it every day but i do put it on my playlist fairly oh, regularly i, I really really enjoy it i really do thank you Yeah. Well, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I know that uh, you're now in England. You were just in uh, Italy. You're on Mm -hmm. the road. Uh, Please talk to us about your tour and the musicians that you're playing with and where you've played and the reception you're getting from audiences, the whole, the whole enchilada, so to speak. We're all curious about it.
1: Yeah. So I'm actually on tour right now with Sam Smith. Um, The, pop star Uh, yes (laughs) and um so we're kind of we just finished the eu and uk leg of the world tour okay so um i'm actually going home on tuesday that's i've been gone for three months (laughs) it's the longest i've ever been away from home um it's been amazing but also i'm exhausted and can't wait to see my cats (laughs) um but yeah so we we did let's see it was six weeks of rehearsal um I'd never rehearsed for that long it was actually Mm -hmm. I mean for a production like this too it actually was necessary um everything is so specific like in terms of especially sounds arrangements all of that um it just and we're starting kind of from the ground level at at the beginning of rehearsals because this was a new record um Sam's record Gloria that came out um in the beginning of this year. And so it's um yeah, it basically it was 4 weeks of band rehearsal, like just getting the band the arrangements and sounds all set. And then mm-hmm. 2 weeks of production rehearsal um which is when we finally get to uh the stage and you know, it's a huge stage setup. Basically it's a whole it's like a woman Gloria laying across the entire stage so and there's like lifts right so like the drums and keys are on lifts and then it's choreography getting on and off stage it's all there's a lot <laughs> um okay there. and there's dancers too so um yeah it was two weeks of production rehearsal and then yeah and then we started in the UK we did um year, a month in Europe and um finished out here in the UK um and then we yeah, we end up, we're going to go, we have a whole North America tour, Asia tour, Australia um, for the rest of this year. And then hopefully continued into next year too. Wow.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, it's quite the production. Sam's an amazing person to work for. They're um, really lovely. It's like, I have, this is definitely, you know, the highest sort of like tiered gig I've had. Um, and um you know you hear stories about other pop stars and you know um just sam is none of those things like they are truly a wonderful person very down to earth and like appreciates the band so much which is Mm -hmm. so lovely um and also you know in the beginning of rehearsals basically said look like i know that this is pop but i don't want to play the same show every night I want Mm. there to be different things. I want it to be fresh and new every night. And I, you know, I've never been, um, no one has ever told me not to play something, right? Like it's it's really, we're playing as a band. Obviously there are specific, you know, arrangements and it's songs that we play, but we're free to do, to be us within that. Mm -hmm. um, Really lovely. And yeah, the band is fantastic. Um, uh, the drummer Ginger Hamilton. He's in um, uh, he's British but uh, lives in Nashville, and it's a blast to play with him. I feel like our our hookup is right there, which is mm-hmm. exactly what you want, <laughs> right
0: in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um. So that's been fun, and yeah, every, the whole band is great. It's so it's uh me Ginger uh our keyboard player Ruth, um O'Mahony Brady, and then guitar player benjamin totten and then there's three backup singers Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's been quite the ride you know we're playing arenas for you know 15 to twenty thousand people every show and um it's amazing you know people are absolutely loving it just to i've never consistent i've never done a a full arena tour like we we did a couple arena Mm -hmm. gigs last year but to do a full tour where every night there are twenty thousand people that are absolutely loving it it's i mean the energy is incredible
0: (laughs) i i I have to think that that might be just a tad overwhelming yeah you know i mean depending on you know how much uh you, you know it's like i think about uh when i play at a club if i've got an audience of 90 That's ecstatic. Mm. You know, of course, clubs are much smaller and so it's still full, but it's, you know, but it's only, I can't imagine playing for 10 to 20,000 people. That just, that blows me away, you know, and, uh, and that, do you, do you feel like, uh, and this is maybe an obviously stupid question, (laughs) but do you feel like, because you're playing in so much of a lot larger venue with so many more people that there's there's not nearly as much connection as you might have say in a smaller uh more intimate kind of uh venue
1: actually i find that that's not true i mean it's definitely further away from people and i can't see everyone's face like there's i'm only really seeing the first couple rows Of people because there's uh, you know I can't see faces necessarily like Mm -hmm. throughout
0: the whole of course
1: yeah but the love that the audience brings is truly incredible and they are so present and so there for the show that it's um yeah and I always try and find like a person or two within the front you know couple rows to kind of have a little connection with um you know one show it was this little girl who was maybe eight or nine years old that just at one point like looks at me and gives me a big thumbs Ah, up okay okay and so there's there is that connection there and it's just amplified and you know obviously it's not as intimate so you can't feel the right everyone's energy but it's definitely you still feel the connection Okay,
0: I'm glad yeah. to hear that. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. I know I've had numerous conversations with 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 musicians over the past couple of years that talk about, uh, especially once COVID restrictions were listed, how, lifted, how wonderful it was to get back to playing live. Because yep. even as musicians, we you know we we miss that uh, connection with other human beings in terms of being the receptors of what we're. Providing musically and yes. and seeing firsthand the response and that that uh, symbiosis almost, if you will, of energy that oh. goes between the two. And I I, I mean, I, I could tell you anything you don't know, but I know like for myself, when I'm playing for an audience, I get I get fired up by oh, yeah. the the audience when I play something and and I see somebody smile or or you know get like they're getting into what I'm doing. I mean and that's a huge mm-hmm. turn on and it's I assume it's probably the same for you, but my goodness, multiplied by by thousands and and yeah. that that huge mass of of uh of uh human energy must just be awesome.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's it's I definitely I hear it more in between songs. I end up, so we have, you know, on, in our, in your monitors, um, the option of having, uh, they basically have mics like for the room so oh, okay. that, so that, you know, especially Sam really feeds off the audience. So they like to have those mics in their ears so they actually can hear they're like, you know, micing the crowd, basically the ambient mics. And, um, I, I only have a little bit, bit of that in my ears just so I can like be present with the music. But there's so sometimes I forget how massive it is until at the end of a song, you actually hear, you know, the full crowd kind of through your in-ears and you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people here. It's, it's just yeah. a big
0: roar of sound, I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet that's yeah. really cool, though. Really cool. Yeah. 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 Well, um, during the show, does the band get featured at all? Actually,
1: yes. Oh, um, wonderful. Yeah, Sam actually features all of us, which oh. is amazing.
0: So um, so uh, you get to get to do some soloing then?
1: I mean, yeah, a little bit, you know, it's, it's like eight bars, but okay. it's, um, yeah, but we each have our moment of feature, like the singers each get featured on a tune where they're singing lead with Sam. And then, um, yeah, we each get like a little solo moment and and sam introduces us and yeah it's really it's fun (laughs) that's
0: cool i'm glad to hear that that's someone who does appreciate the 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 people that uh, play play with him that's awesome i'm happy to hear that and uh, well that's great and so you uh you're ready to have a rest and then you're going to you're going to pick up and go go again north american tour when when will that start
1: that starts in July, the end of oh, July. Oh, okay.
0: So you're going to have yes. about a month, about almost a month to to a little R&R maybe and
1: Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely a month at home um right now I I only have a couple gigs at home. I'm trying to keep it um relaxing and yes. <laughs> rejuvenating and not that I mean I want to be playing other music too, but it's sure. um I'm not necessarily trying to like hit the ground running when I get back. Um and, Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's
0: focus on some self-care and yeah. <laughs> rejuvenating and recharging your batteries i yep. think that sounds like a good idea because that, yeah. i can't even begin to uh imagine what what it must be like to do what you do because that just <laughs> sounds like uh an incredible thrill it's an incredible it is thrill yes, it okay is. well i don't uh, mean to, to cast any shade with this next question but I know there's <laughs> got to be challenges what is the major challenge of being a musician in the 21st century
1: um I mean I'd say especially as a um you know as people that put out their own music I think the biggest challenge is uh streaming right <laughs> okay um and It was something that I didn't really get a taste of until the Sonica record came out because that was the first record that, you know, I, I put out, um, and just getting, yeah, getting people to listen to your music, getting your music out there. It's, um, it's definitely difficult and it's not even, you know, we had a whole debate over whether even to print CDs and, whether we could sell those and you know I don't really have a place that I can sell them so Tana and Nicole ended up printing CDs for themselves that they could sell at their own record or their own shows but you know I can't sell Sonica CDs at a Sam Smith concert so right. <laughs> I ended up not getting um CDs and yeah just trying to figure out how to how to navigate all that um it's new for me mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's tough just to make you know any sort of money off of what you put out into the world um i mean (laughs) i'm still still
0: waiting for my first 20 dollar check from spotify yeah from my my album i put out about three years ago so
1: yep yeah yeah. yeah i know what you mean yeah um so that's definitely a challenge but then you know for me it's really and i don't think this is necessarily a new challenge but um it's, I think maintaining some sort of, um, routine and health on the road is, Mm -hmm. um, is definitely tough. And it's still something, even though I've toured, you know, for years, um, like I said, this is the longest I've been gone. So I've really had to try and figure out how to navigate all that and make sure I'm, you know eating right and still working out enough to feel good and and healthy and strong and but then still you know have to sleep on buses and and um you know want to make the hang when the hang happens so it's uh yeah it's something to navigate and again this isn't anything new but it's um something that i've been mm-hmm. definitely thinking about recently so okay. <laughs>
0: you know i just thought of a question i'd like to ask you and if you don't wish to answer it that's quite all right uh but i'm curious to know how did you land the gig with sam smith
1: oh sure yeah so it's i'm i did audition but it was based on a recommendation so um Mm -hmm. a good friend of mine david cook who's an amazing um keyboard player he uh he recommended me so i'd worked with him on a couple of different things before, as an he was the MD for an artist that I worked with. Um, he's also Taylor Swift's MD, so is very much in that world, mm-hmm. but is an amazing jazz piano player. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, yeah, he's actually on my husband's record that's coming out soon. Like he's definitely in the New York jazz scene, but happens to also be in the kind of like the pop world. Um, and so he, the MDs for Sam reached out to him, um, asking for recommendations. And so he recommended me and then they had me come out to LA and audition. Okay. Um, so I did go audition, played three tunes that I found out about, you know, like three days ahead of time and <laughs> flew out. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was just me and, um, the MD and the manager in, um, the like tour director in the room. So it was, and it was good vibes immediately. And, um, yeah, we got along and it was very easeful. It wasn't, um, you know, of course I was nervous going in, but um, they made it very comfortable. And yeah, that was that.
0: <laughs> I, I want to drill down just a little bit. And again, these are not questions that I sent to you ahead of time. So if you don't oh, want yeah. to answer them, it's all right. Cause I'm just curious to know, sure. I, I have to imagine that anybody who would have been recommended for this gig would have had the chops.
1: Yeah, totally. So,
0: so when you audition. What was it that maybe separated you from other people who didn't get the gig, and was any of it not necessarily related to your playing? I mean, you talked about people getting along and and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and that, and uh, the talk about the importance of that as well as the actual mechanics of your playing and and uh, musical choices that you made that obviously impressed them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. um you know, the songs that they chose for the audition were three very different songs. Like Sam's, um, Sam's songs have gone from, you know, straight up like soul pop to now current, like it, we almost even in the production get into, you know, like heavy metal for a second. (laughs) It's like, it's a very wide range of things. So the the three songs that they chose for my audition kind of encompassed that wide range. So I think, you know, obviously everyone that auditioned I'm sure was an amazing player, but, you know, I don't know. I've always, um, just really cared about diversifying my, you know, what I can do and genre wise. And, you know, I had to slap on a tune play regular finger style and then with a pick kind of muted pick thing. So, it's just, it was like doing a variety of things. Um, and also for me, I mean, my number one thing in my mind is feel as a bass player, um, is like, does it does it feel good? Um, where is the, yeah, where's the pocket? How does it mesh with everyone else? Um, and so I always go into any new um, opportunity with that kind of at the forefront and then um and then it's kind of like sound and um and then i'll add you know i add i didn't necessarily play exactly what was on the track i added like a couple little things here and there but nothing crazy Not. i didn't want to Uh overwhelm it so it's like you know you want to show yourself but Mm -hmm. um but also be but like be the foundation be the what you know close to what the record sounds like basically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so that's kind of how I went into it and I guess that they liked that (laughs) um and but I think I mean a big thing too is also um you know it is pop so the look also matters um and I'm sure the fact I mean there we actually don't have any white men in the band and I think that that is intentional um on Sam's part also, um, you know, so I think being a woman did help me in that scenario. Um, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I know that they were looking for, um, yeah, just to have a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that that, that helped.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, and I'm assuming that you are primarily playing electric do you don't do you don't do any acoustic work with Sam do you no
1: it's no upright yeah. but um it's almost there's a lot of synth bass too a lot of so, synth okay yeah yeah so it's it's mostly it's, it's probably 60 percent electric and 40 percent synth okay um but yeah so it's a good amount a lot of their new tunes are um synth bass um heavy so it's yeah even you know, getting those sounds together. Like I, I've played synth bass for a bit, and obviously, you know, we had to take keys in college and mm-hmm. all of that. But, um, but what I really worked on over the pandemic and leading up to this gig was was getting um sounds together uh on you know on a a Moog and creating sounds from the ground up. Um, and yeah, feeling comfortable with that because that is a pretty big part of the gig.
0: Okay. Okay. And the types of sounds that, you you know, that, uh, that you produce, is that something that you are left to decide solely? Or is there a sound designer who says, no, I want more of this kind of, I mean, I'm curious to know, because this is all new territory to me.
1: Yeah. So basically, and during that's part of what rehearsals are, and I Uh wasn't sure, honestly coming in to this gig, whether, you know, someone might just give me a a thumb drive and say here all the sounds from the record let's just use that but we actually made built our own sounds so i would kind of come in with a couple sounds um that i had designed and made again trying to get as close to the record as possible Mm -hmm. um and then we'd kind of tweak with um the md Mm -hmm. to make it um yeah, just better for the live scenario, and, mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. so there's some sounds that I am using the record stems for, and then there's some that I made myself, and then there's some that I made with the MD. So it's kind of a combo. Um,
0: okay, a I see. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm just I'm only, I'm just, you really have piqued my curiosity because I would, you know, I I I ha- just have to imagine that in a in a, you know, producing a uh, live performance Mm. in this particular arena of, of musical work. I, I somehow cannot imagine that it's not unlike producing a a record. It's just that you're trying to craft the sound to be, you know, particular for a live setting. And, and then also depending on where you are, I imagine that the acoustic concerns and so forth may change, uh, You know, I—I mean, I don't know, you know, but uh, it seems to me that you'd have to have a, uh, like, a producer, sound stylist, uh, someone with really good ears about how to keep the Sam Smith sound consistent, or at least, you know, I like what you were telling me before that they give you sort of a framework and then said, but we want you to have some freedom as well. It's not like you're just an automaton recreating. You know what what went on there. I like that idea, but I imagine there still has to be some sort of overarching sound concept that that Absolutely. somebody says, "You know, Julia, I, I need you to just turn down one notch or something. I, I don't know I'm using yeah. very, very simplistic, <laughs> sort of nondescript language, but But uh, I, I, you know, cause that, I don't know. I mean, tell us, tell us if I'm, if I'm fishing in the right place.
1: No, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of part of the role of, so there are actually two MDs on this gig Mm -hmm. and one of them is the previous bass player actually Um, that I took over for (laughs) um, in terms of the bass slot, but he's still around as a co-MD. And so he's very much since he's been on the stage and been he's I think he's been working with Sam for almost 10 years at this point so knows Sam very well and what they want and um so and knows the live perspective um as a player so he's kind of um does that and then our other MD uh David who's an amazing producer and engineer he's kind of the like I mean, they're both, they're both are producers, but like David is definitely more thinking about how it translates to the front of house, right? How does it sound from the audience? And again, then making those little tweaks. Um, And it's, you know, we get very specific, like, so all of the drums, um, almost every drum that Ginger's playing has a trigger on it. So they have the capability of um, basically sampling, sounds from the record and adding it on top of the actual live Mm -hmm. drum that he's playing Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so um you know we'll play so ginger has three different snare drums but probably has 20 different snare sounds Mm -hmm. um so every you know every song sounds different but you know we'll we'll be in rehearsal and you know playing through a tune and at the end one of them MDs will be like, okay, Ginger, I think that the reverb tail on that snare is just a little too long. <laughs> and then we tweak it and, you know, do it again. So it's like, it gets that specific Wow. Um, just to, yeah, to get to, they're really trying to have the best sounding show possible. And I of really course. do appreciate that for, again, a show like this where, um, yes, it's about what it looks like visually, but this what it sounds like is number one and i think part of that comes from you know sam is truly an incredible singer you know that they actually are a singer singer you know and Mm -hmm. not not Mm -hmm. and they never there's never auto-tune on sam's voice there's never it's always live it's always um yeah, you're what you're listening to is, is what they're giving out. And they, you know, it's, um, so the sound really matters. <laughs> That's great. Yeah,
0: well, I, you know, I, you know, these are kinds of things that, that, uh, you know, I, I think about, and I get overwhelmed about, I, I, I'm just, you know, it's like, like I, I, I tell people, I say, well, I, I'm all wrapped around 19th century technology. I mean, you know, I play, in a, I play trumpet, you know, it's got valves, but you know, it's not like and all the electronics and so forth. And it's like, I, I recently actually last, uh, summer late last summer, mm-hmm. I finally invested in, uh, in one of these and oh, nice. uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a MIDI controller. That, oh wow! That looks like a you know the trumpet. But it
1: has valves, so you can play well, it like.
0: they are a... buttons, yeah. So you yeah. can change, but actually, you you play it. Yeah, I have to use piccolo trumpet fingerings for the low register. So, ah. so I have to add this here. I see. To get down, down, you know, and then because this button actually is an effects button, as is this one, and this one. Okay. and and it's called a tilt it's Digibrass is the name of the company but it's called a tilt because all i have to do to jump octaves is just do that
1: oh interesting
0: <laughs> and so it's it's very i'm very i'm overwhelmed by it uh and yeah. i run it i i just met um bluetooth through a synth i have on my iphone yeah and uh and, and it's a lot of fun, but I start getting into right. electronics and technology and I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, where, you know, where do I start? Yeah. I can't sort it all out. So to yeah. hear what you're talking <laughs> about, I'm aware of is out there, but I'm like just blown away by people that can have the ears and the minds big enough to be able to say, you know, the reverb tails a little too long there. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, that just blows me away. So
1: yeah. That's yeah, awesome. it's definitely a producer's a producer's mindset, you know, and I, I, I'm the same way. I'm blown away by it too. Like I, you know, I figured out how to do some sound design on a synth, but, but I don't know how all of the inner technological workings go. I mean, thank goodness I have a tech because, you know, we have a keyboard tech and a guitar tech that kind of, I work with both of them because of the keys and bass and, you know, we're all. On um wireless setups, we also have a under stage setup and an on stage setup, and my Moog on stage trigger is I have like a synth or a um a MIDI controller off stage that I play sometimes, but it's mm-hmm. um controlled by the Moog on stage. I don't know how it works. My tech figures that out, and I just play it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but um. But yeah, we are able to have like two full different setups, um, kind of all in the same rig and it's, it's amazing, but yeah, Yeah. my head, it kind of, it goes over my head a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get better at all of that stuff and asking lots of questions to these people that know all about it, but yeah. Well <laughs> you it's know, like, I would just it, taught to play. So <laughs> yeah, well,
0: the less way I am. Yeah. And well it's like the guy that designed and produces this uh this digi brass uh yeah. instrument is uh from Wisconsin. He's from up in oh, Eau Claire, right. Wisconsin. I'm gonna yeah. see him uh uh here at the uh ITG conference I'm going, it's mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. He's gonna be there but i i got a I did a zoom with him one time because he wanted to know how i was doing with the instrument i was one of the early yeah. adopters i said uh, david i said the main thing is i'm just overwhelmed by it because it can make so many different sounds i can't figure out which one to settle on and then right. to work through the anyway so he gave me some guidelines he says just use this sawtooth wave stick with that one get your technique <laughs> together then you can branch out with all the different sounds so
1: yeah exactly but, yeah there's endless possibilities. These really
0: <laughs> but i mean, well it is and the one i have found now that i use the most is one that sound when i play it'll it sounds like a pan flute mm, and so like i'm it. using i'm using that one and cool. um, it, yeah whatever but it, i mean the whole thing with electronics and synthesis and all of this stuff i mean i i guess i was i was born uh well maybe at the right time because i i remember when all this kind of stuff started yeah, yeah. Uh, not the synthesizer per se. That was when right. I was born, but I can still remember the first synthesizer we had when I was in high school, and you had to patch it with little plugins just to get yep. a monophonic sound. There was no right. polyphonic synthesizer to like right. the ARP 2600. And then yeah. it just, uh, well, Anyway, and I hear I yeah. was focusing on baroque trumpet literature I mean, you know, what <laughs> yeah. can I say always always engaged in the- in the in the past yeah.
1: well anyway,
0: <laughs> uh, before I take up too much time talking about me, I want to get back to you. You know, I understand that the bread and butter uh bass playing is being part of a rhythm section, and uh, but I'm curious to know uh about you and your artistic yearnings are you engaged in any way in bringing the bass into the spotlight as a solo or soloing instrument either through your playing or writing or getting to where you're treating the bass as a melodic or solo instrument outside of its typical role
1: yeah um i personally have kind of remained in the um the bass is the foundation and more of what you feel rather than hear okay <laughs> um, but it's that's just what i love about the instrument um but i also i mean slow i've definitely sonica was one of the things that kind of helped me bring bass more into the spotlight or play playing with pedals a bit more to get um, more just like soundscapes and and sound effects rather than specific bass lines or something like that. But as as a soloist, that's not really where, where I come from or, or what I've done with my career. Um, mm-hmm. but I so appreciate the bass players that can do it. I think, you know, you said like Charles Mingus and Jocko mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and I even think of someone like Derek Hodge, um, who I love that that can do that with the bass and do it really well and it's gorgeous um but it's just not it's not really something that I've kind of delved into I just you know I grew up on um on Motown and um you know an old soul and just you know James Jamerson grooving and that's just what speaks to me so (laughs) yeah
0: well, I mean you know it's, it, we all have our we all have those things that that uh flip our triggers and and yeah. <laughs> you know i I you know there's nothing I like as a as a horn player is playing a great along with a great bass groove I mean you know yeah. it's that's uh that's such an important part of any kind of uh of group you know it's like we say here in Wisconsin, yeah if you're gonna play the polka, you gotta have a tuba in the band.
1: <laughs> yeah
0: exactly you know you got to have that baseline yeah. um okay well here you are an experienced professional what advice would you have for people who are aspiring toward a career in music
1: i would say i mean we kind of touched on this a bit but um you know being a great player is just part of it it's only one part of having a career um it's being easy to get along with um you know, being personable, having, um, even as like a touring musician, I'm just one, there's 180 of us on this tour. It's a huge tour. So, you know, I have to, I kind of, you know, we have, we, we have our groups of friends and it's all, you know, lovely, but like, I try and keep a low profile, you know, in a way you just don't want to, I'm not trying to, I don't want anyone to think that I'm an issue. You don't, you know, that's part of, it's just like being able to be a team player. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's such a huge part of the job that doesn't always get talked about. And again, it's not something that, you know, when we went to North Texas, it's like, they, they talk about it, but it's more like here, here are the tools to, to play well, here are the tools to become a great player. And then you go out into the world and you kind of have to figure everything else out. <laughs> and um. Yeah, so I think being a team player is definitely a huge part of it. Um, Also, being versatile, you know, being able to do many different things. Um, Again, you know, being able to play upright and electric and synth basses and sing a little bit has definitely helped my career. Um, You know, I've obviously focused primarily on electric bass, like that is my main thing and obviously i want to be as good at that as i possibly can but diversifying a bit is has been very helpful and it gives you a new perspective and it's always fun to learn new things too so you know again like even in just in the last couple of years i learned how to program sounds so it's there's mm-hmm. always new things to learn and um being open to that and being willing to um yeah to learn new things is amazing and um And being able to take constructive criticism too. being able to, um, you know, work with MDs and sometimes you might have conflicting things, but again, it's working through those things together and also being able to hear, um, you know, not getting defensive with any sort of, you know, if they want a certain thing, um, even though I might not choose to do that myself, I always give it a try. And then you can have a conversation about it afterwards if it doesn't work. But, you know, being open to, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to yeah, changing, you know, yeah, doing what you, uh, maybe things that wouldn't necessarily, that would push you in a different direction and just being sure. open to that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sometimes we need to get out of our comfort zone mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I think we, we learn from that. Uh, yeah, if nothing else that maybe that we don't like something but you never know whether you're going to like something unless you try it exactly. i think that's that's excellent advice um you know i was also going to ask you you know what you've learned from your association with other musicians in new york and elsewhere i i somehow feel like though that you would give me about the same answer that you just yeah. did uh because it sounds to me like you know an What you're telling me is that being a great or great being a successful in the music uh, profession is is probably as much about being someone who is uh, 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 nice to be around, Mm -hmm. someone who can be a a stimulating conversationalist, someone who you can work with, who can be flexible, pliable, amenable. All those kind of things and not just being and just don't be a prima donna a-hole.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to tell my students, my non-music major students who would always ask this question, Dr. Hurst, how is learning about Mozart going to help me get a job? Hmm. And I say, it may not help you at all, but it might help you keep your job once you get it because you'll have something to talk about around the water cooler other than what was on tv last night (laughs) you know and so yeah yeah, so be well read be well versed in music and theater and the arts so that you have something interesting to talk with to people absolutely And and one
1: of my favorite things is you know sharing favorite music and and uh yeah with people on this tour and turning people on to different things and hearing and being turned on to different things by, you know, people that I had never heard of. And and also part of the the banter of like being on the road with musicians is being able to talk about music history. That's oh yeah definitely a huge part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and knowing certain records and being a part of that conversation, it's yeah, it's
0: yeah fun. I, I <laughs> no, I hear you. I mean it's like it's it's sort of like, you know, my wife who is not quite as big of a sports fan as I am. (laughs) I mean, I love NFL football, and she's always kind of giving me a little jab about, well, why do we have to watch the show that's on for two hours before the game, watch the game, and then watch the show that's after the game for two hours? And I says, well, what you have to understand is that talking about sports and talking about what's going to happen and then watching it happen and then talking about what you just saw is just as enjoyable as watching the actual game. Yeah. And I think, and I think music in many ways, you know, is that shared experience. You know, we talk about recordings, you know, it's like, you know, and you bring up, uh, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, Oh, wow. Uh, so what from kind of blue and everybody goes, Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because you have we have that shared experience and, and we Absolutely. can talk about it. And it's and it's really, really kind of neat. And yeah. I, I'm going to be I'm going to be very frank with you now that you've mentioned that your husband has a new record coming out. I'm going to seek him out and I'll yeah, see if he would like do. to be a guest and talk about his his music and learn more yeah. about his uh, what, do you, do, what do you know what the name of his
1: new album is? You know, I think he's still deciding, deciding between two things. So I don't oh. want to give okay
0: then don't 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 do it
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, but it is coming out in august okay um yeah it has uh donnie mccaslin and on sax and david cook who i mentioned before on keys um and sam and i on bass and also julian pollock on keys is um a bit of it but yeah it's going to be a great record Good. And I'm very proud of him for finally putting out his first record.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Which label okay. is he re- releasing it through?
1: He's actually doing it by himself. He's oh, doing it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is Wonderful. Wonderful. Old fashioned. Self-produced.
0: <laughs> Self-produced. That's me
1: yeah <laughs> my, my album
0: was self-produced i even designed the album cover art the whole bit i know about Amazing. that that's yeah, 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 that's yeah yeah that's always kind of interesting well super yeah. but i'll uh, investigate that because see yeah, this do. is how i get leads for new guests you know i, I yeah you've now shared with me about your husband i'm going to seek him out too um <laughs> anyway well that's awesome well now you're going to be back in new york next week Mm -hmm. and you're gonna lay low for a bit but if i were to magically be able to show up in new york where might i be able to hear you play
1: um you're gonna
0: do a few gigs
1: yeah i have so actually one of the gigs i have is um i play with this group that um travels around the country and does symphony shows um but it's all like a theme so the one that i'm doing is all the music of um of paul simon which is really fun so we get to a rhythm section from new york we'll travel around and then we meet up with a symphony and wherever we're at and we do like the paul simon songbook
0: oh i Um, see okay
1: yeah so i'll i'll be in ohio for um for a weekend
0: well so you're not (laughs) really going to be in new york then playing
1: um i mean not let's see. the first two weeks i like i we were also supposed to go home a little bit later and things a couple things got um got canceled so we're actually going home a little early I we see. just found this out and so i don't have the first week and a half that i'm home i'm kind of just like not doing anything that's okay <laughs> um and then yeah have this ohio gig and then i'm hoping to you know do a couple local gigs in new york but right now and um i actually don't have anything which is a uh, a strange thing to say uh that's not usually the case but we'll be Uh-oh. um We'll be all around North America in July and August. So maybe. I, think you, I think you deserve
0: a break. I think yeah. you deserve a break. I think, you know, yeah. you, you know, your bathrobe and fuzzy slippers and laying on the couch yeah. and, uh, you know, and watching, you know, binge watching whatever shows you like. I think yeah, exactly. you deserve it. You deserve it. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to ask you one other thing. Do you have any uh, uh, other recording projects uh, on the horizon? And anything that you're going to be involved in?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, a couple of kind of as a side person um, sessions that I'm going to be able to fit in end of June and early July. Um, there's a great singer-songwriter, uh, Charlene Kay, that um mm-hmm. planning on doing some part of her record, her new record coming out. She's, um, yeah, a great singer and guitar player. And I'm actually on one of the tracks on my husband's record um and then um yeah picking up little things along the way but none of my own personal projects even with sonica we had to kind of um put it give it a little bit of a rest while i'm i'm touring most of the year so it's just hard to you know keep that up but we're not done so (laughs) well
0: there you go well that's good that's good that's good well uh Julia we've asked that we've been talking for about an hour is there anything else you would like to add or tell my audience I have not asked you about
1: hmm. um i don't think so we covered quite a lot of ground okay. Um yeah it's been a pleasure and you know right. i'm just always yeah happy to talk about music and how to do it as a career which is still amazing to me that it's possible and <laughs> um well.
0: I know uh, you're you're spot on. That's one of the things I enjoy about doing this podcast is uh, having the opportunity to meet people like you who love to talk about music because I love to talk about music Mm -hmm. and love to hear people talk about music and meet new people. And it's just awesome. And, and Julia, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today. And um, I want to wish you uh, all the best with what I'm sure will be a continued successful musical future.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure.
0: You bet. Have a great uh, rest of the day. It's probably almost tea time.
1: Yeah. uh,
0: (laughs) So, So have a wonderful uh, rest of your tour and safe travels home and uh, all the best with uh, the new tour when it starts.
1: Thanks so much.
0: You bet. My Discovery Composer of the Week is Kaja Sarriaho, a Finnish composer born in 1952. After attending the Helsinki University of Art and Design, She studied at the Sibelius Academy, where her teachers included Paavo Heinenen from 1976 to 1981, and later at the Freiberg Musikhochschule from 1981 to 1982 with Brian Fenrihoff, Klaus Huber, and others. In 1982, she moved to Paris where she has worked regularly at IRCAM. She has also worked in San Diego from 1988 to 1989, and served as Visiting Professor of Composition at the Sibelius Academy, 1997 to 1998. Sarriajo's early output from the late 1970s includes many melodious vocal works, with Im Trauma, for cello and piano, from 1980. However, her focus shifted from melody to tone color, which, uh, with harmony, became a central element in her music. Melodies and distinct rhythmic patterns rarely appear. Characteristics of her works from the 1980s include tonal surfaces worked out in rich detail sensitive descriptive lyrical writing, and slow transformations. Her search for new timbres has stimulated a wide-ranging study of new instrumental techniques. In many of her works, Sariaho has exploited the possibilities of new technology, for example, live electronics, tape, and computer-assisted composition Verse LeBlanc, from 1982, completed in the IRCAM studio, is essentially static. Over the course of 15 minutes, the work changes one three-voiced harmony into another. Verblendungen, for orchestra, and tape, from 1982 to 1984, in which she brought live performers and electronic material together for the first time, continues to explore slow processes of change. A single, drawn-out diminuendo follows an initial explosion. Lichtbogen, for nine... Musicians and Electronics from 1985 to 1986 was the first work Sarajo wrote with the aid of a computer. The starting point for the compositional process was cello harmonics, which burst into sound when bow pressure is increased. The pieces structure and harmony grew out of a computer analysis of this point of departure. Sariaho's music of the late 1980s and 90s is more expressive and often more rapid in its fluctuations. Rhythmic elements are stronger, although regular pulses remain absent. Rich tone colors still hold a central position. These stylistic features are reflected in, among others, Jardine Secret II for harpsichord and tape written in 1984 to 86. I.O. for chamber ensemble, live electronics and tape, composed for the 10th anniversary of the Pompidou Center, and Nymphaea for string quartet and electronics, composed for the Kronos Quartet in 1987. The last of these employs models from nature for abstract musical composition, symmetrical shapes, are in constant evolution. Sariaho used a large orchestra for the first time in the diptych formed of two independent works from 1990, Du Cristal and A La Fumé. In the latter, the orchestra is reinforced by amplification of a solo alto flute and solo cello. Solo amplification is also employed in Amers, for cello, chamber ensemble, and electronics. A special microphone, developed specifically for this work, allows for the separate amplification of each cello string. The Violin Concerto, Graal Theater, written for Gideon Kramer, continues to feature Sariaho's rich and expansive string style, but places greater emphasis on melody than earlier works and does not employ electronics. Melodic writing breaks out into expressive and broadly curving lines in Chateau LeMay for soprano, women's voices, and orchestra, commissioned by the Salzburg Festival. Sarriaho has often found inspiration in extra-musical sources such as literature, visual, and natural phenomena. She has also composed many works with a dramatic or symbolic dimension, or in which various arts cross-fertilize. One of her most finely tuned compositions is the radiophonic Stilleben, which she has described as about travel distances and communication when people are separated from one another or are away from their home country. The piece uses speech, music, and a variety of concrete soundscapes. The ballet, Ma, the earth from 1991, commissioned by the Finnish national ballet is simply similarly based more on feelings and free associations than a clear plot l'amour de loin an opera commissioned by the theater du chatelet paris and the salzburg festival which was premiered at in salzburg in august of 2000 takes the imagined life of joffre rudel a 12th century troubadour as its subject central to the story is joffre's relationship with the countess of tripoli long for soprano and electronics from 1996, like Chateau de la May written for Don Upshaw is a setting of Joffre's poems in their original language. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of Sariajos' Petals for Violoncello and Live Electronics performed by Imka Franck cello and Gary Berger live electronics. Well, that wraps episode number 145. My show notes along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists performances are all posted on my Facebook page the musical universe of professor hurst next week i'll be interviewing megan parnell and dave barnes of the toronto-based southern soul roots rock band bywater call other upcoming interviews include new york-based trombonist ryan Keberly, Florencio Rusinol of the johnson city tennessee-based pop-funk fusion band Florencia and the Feeling, Philadelphia-based jazz bassist Stanley Ruvanov, and Grammy-nominated jazz pianist, singer, and composer Rachel Eckroth. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments or a suggestion of an artist composer or musical style for me to consider you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at uwm.edu so until next time this is professor craig w hurst and carmel the wonder dog signing off from the musical universe of professor hurst have a great day.